It's something for nothing. The Rush Fan Cast. Steve and Jerry. Jerry, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm I'm very well because today we're going to be talking about one of the greatest albums in the history of albums. That's true. In the history of all albums. In the history of all albums, really. In the history of Rush albums, for sure. But the history of all albums. Yeah. It's permanent waves. Permanent waves, baby. It's amazing. Really is. You can follow us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram the Rushcast, email Jerry the Rushcast at gmail.com. And of course, the bass intro on today's podcast, Jerry, is done by our good pal Lex. Another fantastic job by him. That's what I was going to guess, Lex. Lex, good guess. Thank you. How about this for guessing, Jar? The Twitter poll for today is. Wow. What a great segue. Another great segue, Steve. I- I'm terrific at this, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> and modest, too. Yeah, okay. We talked about the song Cold Fire probably a couple months ago. Yeah. And you recall we had a disagreement about a particular line. Yes. The line was, she said, just don't disappoint me. You know how complex women are. Yes. Now, I thought that it was the man thinking that line, you know how complex women are. Yes, and I, I told you you were wrong. And you think I am wrong. <laughs> you think the woman is saying that. Yes, it's true. So I put up a Twitter poll asking our Twitter fans what they thought. And what do you think they said? Are you right? The woman says it. Or am I right? The man thinks it. Um, well, I would hope that they would get the right answer, which is the woman says it. Well, they did. 54%. 54% though, Jared, that's not a glowing endorsement of your theory. 46% yeah. thought I was right. Well, okay. I mean, what can I do about that? <laughs> I, There's nothing you can do. I can only say what I can only convince so many people of so many things. Well, I think it's one of those things that's open to interpretation. As Getty said about Rush's songs, you know, it's, it's up to you what they're about, not necessarily up to them. Yeah, that's true. So you can take it one way and I'll take it the other way. Okay. And we'll both be happy. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be in Scotland before you. And what really makes us happy, Jar, is the emails we get from everybody. Oh boy. It, it's, it's crazy the great emails we get and we had decided to do another inboxer rebellion episode but that didn't turn out too well did it it did not i'm not i'm not sure what i think it's the uh the social distancing isn't good for the back and forth yeah yeah i think so and also we were having some technical difficulties because of the social distancing so what we decided to do is we're going to have a new segment on the show we'll read an email every show why don't you start this brand new segment which is unnamed by reading us an email are we coming up with a name right now? Uh, we can call it the Inboxer Rebellion if you want. I guess. Sure. Or come up with something else. We'll come up with something else. Something catchy. Okay. So the email I have is from our good friend, Arjun. Oh, I love Arjun. Right? Our friend from the Netherlands. So he wrote us about Nobody's Hero. Oh, another song from Counterparts. Yeah. So remember we were talking about, remember how we were talking about how the beginning of that song might have been a little controversial to some people? Yes, yes. Because Neil mentions the word homosexuality. Right. So Arjun sent me this email. This is, so this is a, a while ago now. We just haven't read it yet. And he says, my own story with this song started at first listen. I had just bought the Counterparts album. Didn't know any song off it yet. So I went in totally fresh. When Nobody's Hero started, I didn't feel like it would be such a special song. But then the lyrics started. And as a gay man myself, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Now, I'm not a stereotypical gay man. In fact, I've been quoted to say that my sexuality isn't even the 15th most interesting thing about me. I don't even have 15 things that are interesting <laughs> I was about just me. just going to say the same thing. <laughs> Two, three, maybe. I would 
kill for 15. <laughs> um, uh, so it's, it's just no big issue to me. But when I heard the opening lines to Nobody's Hero, I felt something that I had never really felt before. And that was strange. To hear these lines in a Rush song really surprised me in the best way possible. It's nice to hear from an outsider, because from what we know, we can fairly say that Neil would score a zero or one on the Kinsey scale. It was nice to hear his point of view. And later, when I read an interview about it that you guys also talked about in the podcast, it was amazing to see him shrug off the controversy around it. The fact that it was never a big deal to Neil is a big deal to me. Wow. That's amazing. So there you go. Now, see the effect that Rush has on people's lives? Yeah. Just a song like that affects Arjun so deeply. I think it's amazing. It is. And it's something that, uh, you know, you or I would just gloss over, but it has such uh, an impact to someone else. That's great. Right. But I'm sure there are five or six Rush songs that affect you in that deep way, too. It just depends which one hits you. Yeah, that's true. But I think for Arjun, it it was much deeper. Oh, absolutely. So, and it, it made his love of Rush even greater, I'm sure. That's what we all hope for. Yes. So Permanent Waves, Jar, Rush's seventh studio album. Now, I saw two different release dates for this. I always thought that this album was released January 1st, 1980. I've seen that in a few places. I've seen that in a few places, too. But I've also seen January 14th, 1980 in a few places. So have I. So the only way to know for sure is to find out from one of our listeners who actually bought the record the day it came Ooh, out. Yeah. They may actually know. They can pull their receipt out from their wallet. <laughs> yeah, their receipt <laughs> from their wallet. <laughs> their George Costanza wallet. Exactly. With every receipt ever. So if you've got the receipt, let us know what the date is so we can get this right. So it's either January 1st or January 14th, 1980. You know, I bought um, Van Halen's 1984 the day it came out on on. New Year's Day, 1984. Yes. Yes. So did I. Yeah. And that was, that was a cool thing. They did that on purpose. Yeah. It was a cool thing. So Jared, this was another album that was recorded at Le Studio, Marin Heights, Quebec. Yep. And then they uh, took it and mixed it at Trident Studios in London and produced by Terry Brown, of course. Was it the first one recorded at uh, Le Studio? Yes. The previous two were recorded in Wales, Jared. So yes, it is the first one recorded at Le Studio. Look at me knowing things. Look at you knowing things. Isn't that great? (laughs) The tracks were laid down in just four weeks, which is a huge difference from Hemispheres, which took two months. Yeah, huge. And Jared, the singles. Care to guess what the singles from this album were? Oh, boy. I'm going to have to say The Spirit of Radio. Correct. And Free Will. Oh, you're wrong. What? It was not Free Will. They released two singles from this album, The Spirit of Radio and Entree New. Wow. How about that? Yeah. That's, that's, wow. I'm yeah. surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised too. The Spirit of Radio went to number 13 in the U.S. and number 22 in Canada and also cracked the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, Jer. Yeah, the Hot so this 100. So isn't this isn't just the album charts, Jer. This is, this is not the album-oriented rock charts. Yes. This is top 40, man. Right. This is Casey Kasem's top 40 right. back in the 80s. Exactly. That's amazing, really. You probably heard this. Uh, we used to listen to the top 40 every every uh, week. Oh, I love that show. Yeah, maybe we heard it. Maybe. Entree New did not do as well. Went to number 94 in Canada. And I thought this was interesting. Went to number 110 on the U.S. Hot 100. <laughs> Is that what it says? That's what it said. Where I forget where I read it. 
but it said number 110 in the Hot 100. So it's it outside 100. That's it did not make, make the Hot 100, so I don't understand that at all. Yeah, really. Uh, but the album went platinum in both the United States and Canada and gold in the UK. What's up with the UK? Can't they sell a million copies over there? I don't know. Does every... Is every is it always a million copies for gold for platinum? I'm sorry, platinum. I think so. Yeah, a million. Yeah, is it always is it always a million copies for platinum and uh, five hundred thousand for gold everywhere? I think so. Yeah, but to be mm. fair, you know, the United Kingdom is a lot smaller than the United States, so I'm just I'm just joking, of course. Oh, okay. I think a half a million is pretty good for the UK. Sure, I would kill to have one of my albums sell a half a million copies. Absolutely. If I ever recorded one, that is. I wanted to send a special shout out, Jared, to our listener, Steve Ellis, who emailed us a PDF of Neil's tour books. Remember we were talking about Neil's tour books? Yes. How we had no money when we went to concerts yep. and did not buy them? Yep. He sent us a PDF that was awesome of him. Yeah, it was. So we got to check out Neil's writings on Permanent Waves before we talked about it. Yeah. So what do you say we jump into it, Jared? The first song on side one of Permanent Waves, The Spirit of Radio. First thing I think of when I hear this song is seeing Rush live. Yeah. This song was so incredibly powerful live. It always is. Those first notes. Yep. The arpeggio or whatever it is that Alex is doing, the hammer-ons. Yeah. Soon as you hear that in the concert hall. The place would erupt. The crowd erupts. Yes. I mean, I don't think a Rush crowd ever has gone crazier than during that song. At every show I was at. Oh, yeah, definitely. And even, uh, you know, at the end, too. Oh, yeah. When they're they're supposed to go crazy. And I think part of it is, I would imagine there's a certain segment of fans at every show that don't know Rush songs other than Tom Sawyer and The Spirit of Radio and Free Will, a couple of songs that they heard on the radio. So when those songs come on, those fans go bananas as well. I think it's precious few, though. Yeah, it's precious few, but you add that precious few to the people that are crazy for Rush. Yeah. And it just makes the sound even exponentially bigger. Yeah. And I just, every time I hear this song, even now, I was listening in the car the other day preparing for this, and all I could think of is seeing them perform this live. Oh, yeah, same with me. I mean, it's it was just an incredible experience. I mean, if you never got to see Rush, this was one of the songs that you had to be there for. You could see it on the video, but to experience it, when Getty says concert hall and they bring the lights up on the crowd and everything. Yeah, they bring the lights up. I mean, amazing. Just amazing. It is amazing, yeah. Just amazing. I mean, obviously it's a fantastic song, but the reason why I think it got such a a great uh, reaction at the beginning is because the beginning of this song is unlike the beginning of any song I've ever heard, right? Yeah, that guitar intro is iconic. Yeah. I could play you two seconds of that and immediately you, you know what it is. Anybody would right. know what it is. Yeah. Really, it really is great how they just created this perfect, perfect song for radio 
and it's about radio. Yes, and it critiques it even a little bit. It yes, says, while it's um, while it's celebrating radio, it's also critiquing it a little. Yeah, bit. I mean, I th- I would say the beginning of the song is a celebration of radio, and the ending of the song is a little bit of a critique of radio. Yeah, interesting. So your your initial thoughts on the song? Oh boy, those were my initial thoughts on the song. <laughs> I stole your initial thoughts. You usually have some quotes. Let's hear some quotes about. Oh, you want to hear a quote? About. Okay. So yeah. this quote is from Billboard magazine. I've uh, heard of that. It's from Neil. The spirit of radio was actually written as a tribute to all that was good about radio, celebrating my appreciation of magical moments I had since childhood, hearing the right song at the right time. However. The song's celebration of the ideals of radio necessarily seemed like an attack on the reality of the formulaic mercenary programming of most radio stations, with music the last of anyone's concerns. And yes, it was really ironic that such a song became a popular radio hit, although it was kind of a litmus test. Some radio guys who got it could hear the song and think, that's the way it ought to be, while others, the shallow, swaggering salesmen of the air, could be oblivious to the song's meaning and proudly applaud themselves. That's about me. Wow. Wow, right? Yeah. Don't hold anything back, Neil. <laughs> tell, tell us how you really feel. That's great. Uh, what is it? Swaggering what? Swaggering salesman of the air is what he, yeah. is what he said. That's, a, that's the name for something. Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great song about radio. And it doesn't happen. I mean, obviously, it was starting to wane back in the early 80s, but... It never happens now, at least for me, right? To to turn on the radio and hear like your favorite song on the radio unexpectedly, it never happens anymore. That was the only way you could hear your favorite song back then, though. Right. Was on the radio unexpectedly. There was no iTunes. You couldn't just download a song. If you wanted to hear your favorite song, you had to wait for it to come on the radio. And that's what Neil's right. talking about here. Yeah, because he's driving around. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because they were... Or just listening to the radio as a kid in his bedroom, maybe. Right. But even if you had songs, like if you had a, a tape deck in your car or something, a track, God forbid, when a song came on the radio that you really loved, it was, a, it was a special thing. Somebody was playing that song live and you were listening to it. There was something special about that. You're right. Right. And now... You crank that sucker up. Now... It's not the same anymore. It really isn't. It isn't the same anymore. Because first of all, it's difficult to find the time with the limited amount of time that you and I have to listen to music. We just kind of gravitate toward the things we already like mm-hmm. and, and, ha- and are accessible to us. So, you know, to hear a, a song that we haven't heard in 10 years pop up somewhere, it just never happens. And maybe the first verse, Neil says, plays that song that's so elusive And what I think he means by elusive is that maybe he didn't have the means to go out and buy a record or a way to go out and get a record. You know, he might've been too young. He might not have had any money. There might not have been a record store near where he lived. That's true. I didn't think about that. The song that's elusive is the song on the radio. The only time you can hear it is when they play it. Yeah, absolutely. You remember back in the, back in the day, Steve, trying to record songs off the radio. Oh, totally. I did that. (sighs) Absolutely. And And off MTV. Yeah. Just waiting for a song to come on and missing the beginning of it, obviously. Right. (laughs) Just recording it on on an actual separate tape recorder with all the background noise and everything. Yeah. That's all you could do. Either you did that or you just waited for it to come back on again. (laughs) You just waited for it to come back on. When is the song going to come back on? I'll just sit here for four hours. 
Yeah, so Neil wrote this song uh, kind of as a tribute to CFNYFM in Toronto. And their slogan, Jar, was the spirit of radio. Yeah, spirit of radio. Hence the title. Hence the title. And while it's not specifically about that radio station, it's about radio in general. Right, right. But the spirit of radio definitely captures what it's like to listen to the radio in this way. Yeah. And these lyrics, Jar, are just amazing. Just another set of terrific lyrics. Do you want to go through them? Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. First of all, I, I want to talk about the song structure. Of okay. This because as many times as I've listened to this song, I have a hard time figuring out what the chorus is. Do you have that problem? What do you mean? When you listened to the song, you didn't know what the words were? No, no. When the chorus, when the part of the song that's traditionally the chorus what, what part of this song is traditionally the chorus? I think it's the invisible airwaves crackle with life. You see, I think that that is more of like a pre-chorus. And then the chorus is all this machinery making modern music. But that kind of sounds like the verses. So it's very difficult to really break this song down, at least for me, into your traditional verse, chorus, verse type of structure. But do you need to? No, but that's one of the things I love about this song is that it doesn't, it, it's as hooky as any song you could ever hear, but it doesn't, doesn't have a chorus, right? doesn't hew to the usual structure of a song again, because, because Rush is great. They are a genius. Yep. <laughs> Seriously. So yeah. And, and also the rhyme scheme is also weird. You know, the, the rhymes are in the, the two lines in the middle mm -hmm. throughout the song. Again, something you don't really hear. And, you know, unobtrusive and elusive, you don't see that in many songs. Right. Only, only <laughs> Neil and, only Neil and Rick Ocasek right. use words like that. But yeah, you know, the first, the first, uh, verse begin the day with a friendly voice, a companion unobtrusive plays that song. That's so elusive and the magic music makes your morning mood. Is that for alliteration? Yeah, it's, it's terrific. And Neil, of course, he loved the fact that the companion was unobtrusive. I was just going to say that. He famously loved to be by himself with his yep. thoughts, with his music, and he could just listen to the radio, the DJ, friendly voice, but the friendly voice isn't bothering him. Right. Leaving him alone. Right. Right. I wrote down, I wrote down, this is limelight before limelight. Right. Exactly. That's what he's talking. Yeah. Sure. Because it is, because you know, you're alone, but if you have a, a, a DJ, you're, you're not alone. I used to do that. Listen to the, just listen to a DJ, a particular DJ. Yeah, and Neil loved to be alone, but also loved to listen to the radio. Yeah, companionship without mm -hmm. having to do anything. There's another line in the next verse, similar. Yeah, undemanding contact in your happy solitude. That's great. <laughs> it's so Neil. That is, that is such a great line. Off on your way, hit the open road. There is magic at your fingers for the spirit ever lingers on demanding contact in your happy solitude. I mean, this really is uh, just a tribute to radio right here. Oh yeah, absolutely. I love it. Now the next part, Jared, Yes. we talked about the guitar part at the beginning, this bridge or chorus or whatever we're going to call it has that guitar part. And to me, invisible airwaves crackle with life. That guitar part sounds like that could be the invisible airwaves. Like, you know, you see an airwave visually, it's got that up and down and sort peak, of... The peak and troughs. Yeah. That's what the guitar sounds like to me. 
Yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah, I mean, it's so perfectly matched with the lyrics there. It's just amazing to me. Yeah, that is amazing. I never thought about that. But then, so it's invisible airways crackle with life, bright antenna bristle with the energy, emotional feedback on a timeless wavelength, bearing a gift beyond price, almost free. <laughs> I what do you think he means the, by that? Um, I think, well, you know, it's the, the gift of, of music is, is a priceless thing, you know what I mean? Because of all the joy it can give people, but it comes at a cost to, I guess, the people in the music business. Right. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically Rush and their most recent at that time, you know, experiences touring Mm -hmm. crazy people, you know, having a hard time with hemispheres, but then it's also, you know, so, so for in that way, it's not really free. They spend a lot of time and effort doing it, but also it's not free because it has to sell ad, you know, has to sell ads on your, on the radio station. So it's a gift beyond price, but there is a price attached to it if you want. Yes. If, if you want to run a business, mm-hmm. you have to attach a price to it. So it's a little dig at the end there. So now we get into another verse. I mean, the, the lyrics just are amazing throughout this song. Yeah. It's so succinct. And the way that Getty sings them. Yeah. Is the cadence throughout this song. And with such emotion too. Oh, I know. So perfectly yeah. done, really. Yeah. All this machinery making modern music can still be open-hearted, not so coldly charted. It's really just a question of your honesty. And that is true because this is the 80s, right? This is the beginning of the 80s mm-hmm. where you have uh, maybe some new wave coming along, like the cars and stuff like that. People are using keyboards and samples and stuff like that. And, you know, they, they were into that kind of stuff at the time. Yeah. I think a lot of music fans are a little more parochial in their love of music. Like they stay in their lane. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you like uh, like real heavy metal, then everything else is just kind of by the wayside. Heavy metal is the only thing, right? Could be anything. But musicians usually aren't like that. Like these guys weren't like that. They would listen to everything. And Rush fans aren't like that, clearly. I mean, if you, yeah. if you like Rush from beginning to end, I mean, you're not pigeonholed into one style of music. I mean, Rush That's evolved true. throughout the years. If you're a huge Rush fan, you feel the same way they do. Yeah, I remember watching a documentary. It was like one of those behind the music type things with Metallica. And I think it was for Injustice for All. Mm-hmm. They were recording Injustice for All. And Lars was saying how while they were recording that album, they were listening to a lot of um, Joni Mitchell. Really? Yeah. And you would just never, they were like, oh yeah, we're huge Joni Mitchell fans. Just like. Yeah, you'd never expect that. Can you imagine putting on a uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue in the studio while you're recording with Metallica. It just seems such a weird combination, but they find inspiration where they find inspiration. Yeah. You know, I saw a list of, uh, it's been posted before of Getty's favorite albums. And one of them was Bjork's post, which I love. Oh yeah. But it just surprised me that Getty, it just didn't seem to me that that would be an album that Getty would like. But like you said, inspiration can come from anywhere. Right. As long as it's an honest expression. Yeah. That's really what it boils down to. I mean, because they liked, um, I think we spoke about this before, but they liked Devo. And Devo is a, a, is a very, very strange band. Yeah. Their songs are about strange things. But it's done with uh, heart and emotion. You can feel it in the music. Mm-hmm. 
one of our listeners, I tweeted out that list, and one of our listeners suggested that Getty and Bjork should uh, collaborate on something. Oh, my God. That would be interesting. That would be interesting, especially where, <laughs> where, where Bjork's music has been in the past decade. Very, very strange. You know, people are polarized about Getty's voice. The same for Bjork, really. They're, they're two vocalists that either you love or you don't love. Yeah, really. Put them together, maybe more people it's love it. Magic. It is magic. Yeah, could be magic. And then it goes on from there, the lyrics. One likes to believe in the freedom of music, but glittering prizes and endless compromises shatter the illusion of integrity. Wow. That's a, that's a critique of the music business, right? Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what Rush did not do. They didn't do that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They definitely did not give in to the glittering prizes, nor did they compromise. Right. But, you know, bands will do that. A lot of bands have to do that if they want to survive. They didn't compromise their integrity for a hit ever. Right. But ironically, this song was their biggest hit. <laughs> I know. Right? No. Which is which is crazy. Just it the is fact crazy. that the song is about that and they didn't compromise their integrity, yet this was their biggest hit. This has to be their biggest hit, right? I would think so. Unless Tom Sawyer is bigger. I didn't really check the charts. I guess we'll find out. We'll find out when we talk about moving pictures. But you know, it's it's like Neil said, it's a it's an example of people not listening too hard to the lyrics, not taking the time to figure out what this song is about. Because I think of a program director or somebody at the, some, you know, big wig at a radio station really understood what this song was saying. <laughs> they would not be happy with it. They wouldn't even play it. They may not even play it. That's possible. So, Jared, the next line for the words of the prophets are written on the studio wall. Did you notice the spelling of the word prophets? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a play on the Simon and Garfunkel yeah. line. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the words of the prophets written on the studio wall. And then concert hall and that's when all the lights would come up yep all the every light in the place would come up and everybody would just scream it was always the best and the final line echoes with the sounds of salesmen yeah now i have a question about what that means okay i think i think i know what it means go ahead what's the question well the question is whether or not it's obviously the words of the prophets are written on the studio wall in the concert hall which is where the profit is made, right? Right. But the salesman, so it's the concert hall and echoes with the sound of salesmen. Is that the bands themselves? Yes. Oh. They're, they're disingenuous bands who say something like, Hey, New York, you're the greatest fans in the world. Hey, you're the best crowd we've ever had on this tour. Is that a quote? That's sort of? not a quote, but that's, <laughs> that's basically what, what Neil was getting at. The oh, disingenuous okay. bands, they're selling themselves. They're, they're selling themselves to the audience in right. a disingenuous way. And that's what right. he was getting at here. I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but that's that's what he's getting at. Okay, and and good. if you recall seeing Rush, what, twenty six times, did they ever do that? Hey, New Jersey, you're the best fans in the world. They would never say something like that. No, even though it's true. Of course we're the best fans in the world. Of course we are. <laughs> But, you know, before we get to that, the, let's talk about that incredible breakdown into that semi-reggae. Yeah, I was going to bring that up next, the reggae. This song has so many parts to it, but it's not like one of those epics that has labeled mm. parts, right? It's got that 
Okay. And again, how, how do they just seamlessly go into that reggae section without you even noticing it really? Right. And then coming out of it. It's crazy. For, a, for, a, for 30 seconds or whatever. And then going back into it. And then that solo. Yeah. That's incredible. And that's another weird thing about the structure of the song. The solo is at the end of the song. And then the song ends. Yeah. And the song end, Jer, is probably the greatest ending to a song ever. I mean, it just ends perfectly. Right. I mean, end a show with this, you can't do any better than that. No. Although I don't know if I ever saw Rush end a show with this. Maybe a, maybe a set before the, before the encores, perhaps. Maybe. I'd have to look at some, some uh, set lists. Yeah, it, it's perfect in many ways. One of the ways is that it comes full circle, right? It comes right back to the beginning. Yeah. So you get, you get that, like you said, if it's the excitement of the crackling radio, then that's how it ends too. Yeah. With that, that same excitement. God, this song is good. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> you know, and I, I, you're going to kill me for saying this, but this is in my top 10. It's got to be. Oh, it's got to right? be in your top 10, yeah. I've got 50 or 60 songs in my top 10. This is not going to work out well when we actually do this. <laughs> no, we're definitely going to need a, a, a different numbering system. Yeah. That includes 50 numbers <laughs> in, in between one and 10. Because really, um, this song is, uh, what is it, five minutes long, this song? Yeah. It packs in so much. There isn't a wasted second in this song. No. Not a wasted second. This song, I mean, is this where Rush became Rush? You know, I was reading a lot of things. Neil, Neil has said that Rush became Rush with moving pictures. He said, Jer, that he wishes yeah. that was Rush's first album, which yeah, to me means forget everything that happened before that. I right. mean, I can't even imagine that. No. Can you imagine being that good, though? He's such Where? <laughs> a perfectionist that he thinks everything before moving pictures was worth just tossing away. I know. So can you imagine being that talented that you would just be like oh yeah that stuff that you know hemispheres whatever <laughs> we can, we don't have to play that stuff anymore we'll just start we'll just start fresh uh, i i mean it's, it's just incredible. it's just incredible to me i mean the quote i saw was attributed to uh caress of steel i think which i can i guess i can understand i mean i love caress of steel but i can understand right. why the band doesn't but to throw this album away i mean i can't even imagine it no i know it's unimaginable yeah, it's a desert island disc, Jerry. You got to keep it. It is a desert island disc. <laughs> what radio station used to do that? New York radio station used to do desert w island w? discs. It must have been NEW. Yeah, but this is one. This is well, yeah. If you don't, oh, we'll have to do that one time. That'll be an episode. Oh wow, that'll be interesting. Just Rush yeah. albums or all albums? I don't know. I don't know if people want to hear our opinions on other bands. <laughs> that may get boring for some. <laughs> it's true but we, maybe it would be picking one rush album oh like if i could only pick one which one would i yeah. pick yeah oh, that's a tough one that yeah. would be really tough depends what mood i'm in yeah if you were on a desert island and somehow had the capacity to play an album which, which you wouldn't would you play <laughs> yeah you'd have to make the needle out of coconuts or something shall we move on to track two on permanent waves jar do we have to we could we could, we could talk about the spirit of radio all day long, but I would suggest right. moving on. Yeah, we've been talking about it for a while. Well, we can talk about this next song for a while, too. Yep. We will.
So, Jer. Yes. You were talking about Devo. This song is about freedom of choice, which is a <laughs> Devo right. song, right? That's true. It's also, I think, the name of the album, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And the song, Freedom of Choice. Now, I think this is a better song than Freedom of Choice. People may disagree. I love Freedom of Choice, though, as a song. Oh, I love it, too, but... Not as good as this This song, is free though. will, man. This is free will. I got a couple of quotes, Jar. Uh, Getty Lee from Rockline, 1989. This song is about the freedom of choice and free will. Wow, okay, great. Not about, not about Devo. And <laughs> you believing in what you decide to believe in. Yes. And the quote I have from Neil is about Lotus Land as it appears in the song. Oh, okay. Simply a metaphor for an idealized background, a land of milk and honey. Yep. That's what I was going to say. It's sometimes also used as a pejorative name for Los Angeles, though that was not in my mind when I wrote it. Mm. So your thoughts on free will, Jer? Oh, boy, this is, this is a great song. As I think as I, I mentioned when we were talking to Liz Swan a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. what, kind of, what kind of rock band is writing a song about free will? This kind of rock in, band. In such a direct way, too. That really, really, really is crazy. Right. Just tackling this subject head on and saying to everyone, you know, you can believe in these other things, right? Mm-hmm. A host of holy horrors. <laughs> it's a great, what a great line that is. The, a host of holy horrors. Now, this song, Jared, to me is anti-religion, don't you think? I would say I wrote down that this is definitely one of the songs that makes me think that at least Neil is an atheist because he does mention a lot of negative things about religious thought. Now, I wanted to bring up, we had a listener a few weeks back on Twitter. He's October's Lament. He pointed out that we've said quite a few times that Neil is an atheist. And do you think that's true or do you think he was more agnostic? We're saying atheist. I mean, I've never seen Neil quoted as saying, I'm an atheist. So we're just assuming. Assuming, yeah. But he's assuming that Neil is, is actually a agnostic? Uh, he feels he's more agnostic, and, and that's possibly true. Guess. He, if, I guess it, I've never heard him actually say either way. No. But he's an, intel, he's an intellectually honest guy. Right. So maybe he would describe himself as, as agnostic. But if you were being intellectually honest, everybody would describe themselves as being agnostic because there's just no proof either way. But most people aren't intellectually honest, Jar. I guess not. Like Neil was. Like Neil was. I know I'm not. So, so back to the lyrics. Back to the lyrics, yeah. So, it's, oh boy, God, I love this song. Um, there are those who think that life has nothing left to chance a host of holy horrors to direct our aimless dance. That's harsh. Yeah. That is, that is pretty critical of these people who think like that. Yeah. So my interpretation of that is these people have faith and they're delusional. Right. A host of holy horrors to direct their aimless dance. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> and then a planet of playthings. We dance on the strings of powers we cannot perceive. Crazy. The stars aren't aligned or the gods are maligned. Blame is better to give than receive. Which Neil uh, does this. He does this a lot. He sets up uh, you know, situations and boils it down to one phrase. And this is a classic, classic example of it. Because I guess what he's saying, at least how I interpret it, is that when you think that way, right, that, there, that you're a planet of playthings and 
you know, that we dance on the strings of powers we can't perceive that when things go wrong, at least you have something to blame, right? It's, it's fate. It's, right. it's these, these outside forces. It's the stars. It's, it's whatever. And if you don't think that way, then you have no one else to blame but yourself when things go wrong. And people don't want to blame themselves. No, it's a very difficult thing to do. <laughs> well, it's a, a lot of religious people will say, well, it's, you know, it's up to God. You know, well, right. I applied for this job, whether I get, well, it's God's, uh, God's will, whether or not I get this job or not. Right. Nothing to do with me. Right. And, you know, it's it, for good and for bad mm-hmm. in situations, depends on the situation. But yeah. So, you know, he turns from those, oh God, those critiques, they are so sharp. Mm-hmm. He, he turns from that to his own, his own belief on things, right? You can choose a ready guide in some celestial voice. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Brilliant line. <laughs> brilliant that is a line. brilliant line, right? Oh, yeah. It's a brilliant, by not acting, you're acting. And I steal that line all the time. I say that all the time. <laughs> Do you really? Oh, sure. <laughs> to the kids? Sure. <laughs> they don't know what I'm talking about. But. Give, them a, give them a choice for dinner and they're just sitting in slack jaw and you're like, hey, if you choose not to decide. <laughs> you still have made a choice. You can choose from phantom fears and kindness that can kill. I will choose a path that's clear. I will choose free will. So he's talking about himself here. Right. I don't know about you, but when I sing this song in the car, when it's turned up all the way, I am triumphantly saying, I will choose free will. (laughs) It's such a powerful statement. And again, the live version of this song was almost as powerful as the spirit of radio right up there. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. And when the chorus came up, I mean, the whole crowd singing this along with the band. Yeah, I know. What a beautiful song. But you know, I also want to point out, um, you can choose a ready guide in some celestial voice. He brings up a similar phrasing in the big wheel on roll the bones. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, I was only a kid on a Holy crusade. I placed no trust in a faith that was ready made. Take no chances on paradise delayed. Oh, wow. So that's Very- it's basically the same theme. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You can choose a ready guide in some celestial voice, like somebody else who's going to tell you what to do or guide you in a certain way. And he's choosing the other way. He's choosing his own Northern star, right? Yep. He has his own moral compass to steer him, Jer. That's exactly what I was thinking. And I could not think of it. <laughs> so I went another way. Faithless. Right. And then we start, uh, you know, back like uh, verses, right? There are those who think that they were dealt a losing hand. The cards were stacked against them. They weren't born in Lotus Land, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's an idyllic place to live. And this is a different kind of, of thought, right? Right. These are people who just think there's no way they can change their fate. They're destined to be miserable, right? Right. They just have bad luck. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing good ever happens to me, kind of thought. Right. Independ- independent of maybe religious thought. It's just the sad sack thought, right? Right. All preordained, a prisoner in chains, a victim of venomous fate. Love that. Kicked in the face. You can't pray for a place in heaven's unearthly estate. Again, brilliant lyrics. Yeah. And then he goes back to, you can choose a ready guy in some celestial voice. And that is the chorus. That is definitely the chorus in this song. Absolutely. This is, this song is structured a little more usually, Mm -hmm. but then let's get to this this jazzy breakdown. The bass solo, man. It's a bass solo. I love a bass solo. I know. And not only is it a bass solo, it's a guitar solo and a drum solo all 
mixed together. That's what I was going to say. All three of them, the interplay between all three of them, they are all soloing at the same time. Yeah, and it sounds amazing. It does sound amazing. But it starts with Getty, though, which is why I'm going to call it a bass solo, just because you don't hear bass solos a lot in songs. That's what this is. Yeah, but then the drums. Yeah. uh, the, 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 The interplay of the drums and the bass, I don't know. You know, Neil's not doing his his usual fills like crazy, right? He's just hitting that snare. Mm-hmm. But, oh, uh, and so it's kind of funky too, right? Yeah. Oh, it's great. And then Alex comes in. Alex steps into the room and tears the joint up. <laughs> he waits a little bit though. Let's, he let's, does. Let's Getty and Neil do their thing. And then. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's a point at the, I guess really at the end of the solo where he does this little thing he does like a an extra little accent on the riff at the end of the solo and if i maybe we should play a piece of it we okay should, we should cut it in because i having a hard time describing it but it's right. my favorite part of the solo all right here it is Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. Crazy. It is an it's my favorite, favorite part. When I'm playing along in the car, I make an extra face when I'm when I'm playing that part. I had such a good time listening to this album because, you know, we're we're still sheltering in place and you and I, I think, are doing the same thing. We're taking a ride every day just just to get out yeah. of the house. And I've been cranking permanent waves every day in preparation for this. And it's oh, just amazing. It is amazing. And you know, this is one of those albums where I could have talked about it without previously listening to it because I know this album so well. At least I feel oh, like yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it helps to listen again. It does. Just and, to get pumped. And time signatures in this song. This is another song, Jar, with a whole bunch of different time signature changes. Really? Uh, See, again, I you didn't, didn't notice. notice. 6-4 to 7-4, back to 6-4, back to 7-4, 6-4, and then 8-4. That's just the first verse. Oh, what? Yeah. Crazy, right? <laughs> yes, that's insane. The first verse. And you don't even notice. It. It's really, it really is, it really is amazing. These guys. This is why we love them, Jer. And that carries through the whole song. I didn't go through the whole song. I just wanted to get a flavor of the time signature changes. You know, I guess that accounts for the the way that he phrases these things, right? Yeah, I never thought about that. I mean, if you think about it, picture the verse in your head. It's not traditional four four it's not it's definitely not he's definitely not he's pronouncing every word on its own right there are those who think that like yeah thing you know what i mean again uh, like circumstances it's, it's just how do they do this how do they switch from time signature to time signature just seamlessly like that it really is it's these, these guys are just way above us no they're way above our pay grade <laughs> in every sure. respect so, Jared, the, the last part of the song. Yeah, when Getty just screeches yes. the top of his lungs. I shouldn't say screeches. That sounds that sounds uh, like a negative. He really, he hits his highest notes that oh, he's yeah. done in a long time. Yes. And so, each of us, a cell of awareness, imperfect and incomplete genetic blends with uncertain ends on a fortune hunt. That's far too fleet. I like, I like the fact that it's a fortune hunt, right? Because some people believe in fortune as something mm-hmm. that befalls them. But here, you have to hunt for your own fortune. 
yeah. just further reinforces the free will aspect of it. And I just love the, a cell of awareness and genetic blends. It just screams science, which, oh, is, yeah. which is what clearly Neil believes in. Right. Like maybe it's a little nod too to natural science. Perhaps. Jumping off point. Yeah. And it ends, the end of the song, for me, the end of the song always sounded a little unresolved. I don't know if that's a chordal thing, but you know, it just kind of ends with that, you know what I mean? It seems like there should be something else there. No, but I disagree. I think it's another great ending to a song. Oh no, no. That's what I'm saying. It's a great ending to a song because it doesn't resolve all the way which is like life itself, right? It's just going to keep on yeah. going on. There are no, no tidy ends to things sometimes. I think it's just perfect. Yeah, and I love how it ends with the chorus too. Yeah, you know, with the chorus. It just, Rush just does whatever they want and it's just... Right, it works. It works. It just works. It just works. So again, we could probably talk about this song for, for an hour. Yep. Maybe on a future podcast, we'll do free will for an hour. Yeah, maybe on a future podcast, we will talk about the different um, philosophies around free will. Yeah, maybe Liz will come back and she'll yeah. be willing to talk to us about that. She'll have some insights, I'm sure. That'll be a real nail biter, huh? Until then, <laughs> until then, let's check out track three on Permanent Waves, Jerry. Jacob's Ladder. The clouds prepare for battle in the dark. Storm clouds have the light of day obscured, looming low and ominous in twilight premature. Thunderheads are rumbling in a distant overture. Now, Jar, on this one, yes. I know I always talk about how the music fits the lyrics. Yeah. You can almost feel the clouds rolling in. I know. At the beginning of this song. I know. It's a play in music, you know what I mean? It's an experience. It is. It is. And Jared, did you know, we talk a lot about the last two shows we saw and how, how great it was to see Losing It performed live. Yeah. You know that on the final tour, that was the first time they played Jacob's Ladder since the Permanent Waves tour. What? Really? We saw them play Jacob's Ladder twice on that final tour, those last two shows. And that was the first time, that tour was the first time they played Jacob's Ladder since 1980. Wow. And I didn't even, even realize, I mean, I remember how great it was, but I didn't, yeah. I knew I hadn't seen them play it, but I hadn't realized that they hadn't played it since 1980. Wow. I wish I had known that. I would have tried to appreciate it more <laughs> right but i mean it was phenomenal live it was phenomenal it, w- it was re- great yeah it was crazy so your thoughts on this song jer well it's a pretty straightforward song it's it's about a thunderstorm <laughs> you know i mean there's no there there's no deep philosophical examinations in this song it's just a it's a song about a thunderstorm how do you make a song about a thunderstorm into like one of the great epics in your musical career. And there aren't a lot of lyrics here either. No. And the song's seven minutes long. Yeah. And the lyrics that are, and the most of them don't rhyme the whole first chunk. 
Not a rhyme to be had. Yeah, but you don't notice that either. You don't notice that either. You just don't notice it. It's it's like a poem is what it's like. Yeah. A poem that doesn't rhyme, but it's beautiful right. nonetheless. Yeah. And, um, you know, Jacob's Ladder is the, um, is that those shafts of light that he talks about at the end, you know, that break through the clouds and they kind of look like rungs on yep. a ladder, I suppose. It's a reference. It's a biblical reference. I actually pulled up the Bible quote, Jared. You want to hear the Bible quote? Uh, of course <laughs> I want to hear the Bible quote. It'd be the oh. first one I heard today. <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, it's the from Bible a section of the Bible called, not the whole Bible though. I'm not going to read the whole Bible. Uh, but it's from a section called Jacob's Dream at Bethel. Okay. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Hmm. How about that? That's great. A ladder. So, so it's a dream so, Jacob had. A, yeah, yeah. And in researching, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was, what I, what I always thought of Jacob's ladder was, you know, wanted to be right about that for once. And I came across a great word. Okay. It was described that Jacob's ladder is also called crepuscular rays. Crepuscular? Like corpuscles? No, crepuscular. Crepuscular? What does yeah. that mean? It means um, at the dawn and at dusk. So you know how animals are diurnal or um, nocturnal usually mm -hmm. well there are there are crepuscular animals too that are active at the dawn and dusk huh yeah that's great interesting. word to throw around yeah it's a great word to know crepuscular okay and did you know this word before yesterday i did but you're so smart i watched a documentary on deer and it described them as crepuscular because they're active in the early morning and in the evening during the day they just kind of sit around and do nothing that's why you never see deer during the day. Wow. I'm going to use that tomorrow. You can't, have to. I can't wait. I know. I can't wait. So I have a couple of quotes, Jer. Neil, this song simply describes the phenomenon of sun breaking through the clouds in visible rays, as it sometimes does after a rain on a cloudy day. The actual name seems to be one of those traditional names for natural things, which has probably been around for ages. I think Getty actually suggested the idea to me after hearing his mother-in-law use the name. It had a nice sound to it, and of course, the event itself is a beautiful and inspiring one. It is. And another quote from Neil, whereas most of the ideas we were dealing with at this time were on the lesser side, and in some cases, like in Jacob's Ladder, looked at as a cinematic idea, we created all the music first to summon up an image, the effect of Jacob's Ladder, and paint the picture, with the lyrics added just as a sort of little detail later to make it more descriptive. Yeah, it's, it really, I mean, you listen to it, you listen to the drums, especially toward the end. Oh, the drums are amazing. Right. You know, right before all at once the clouds are parted. It sounds like a, the rumbling of thunder in the distance now that the, the storm has passed. I just found that interesting that they wrote the music first and then, then he wrote the lyrics to fit yeah. the, the music, which, which I find fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic song. It's, and it is cinematic. It's, it's, it's cinematic in the same way that the camera eye is. Yeah. Which we'll get to soon. Soon. I can't wait. Yeah. But yeah, it is, a, it is a great, fantastic song. And the only time it rhymes is at the end, right? When the storm's over. Yeah. Which, which kind of makes me think that the beginning, 
is supposed to be a little unsettled because it's the beginning of the storm. And then at the end, everything rhymes again because things are back to normal. Just a perfect album side, Jer, really. It, it really is. It really is. I love side two, but I think side one has it beat. But we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about side two next time. Well, I think the one-two punch of the spirit of radio and free will. It's hard to beat that. It's hard to beat those two songs back to back. Even natural in, in, science can't beat it. Right. Like for two songs in a row on a Rush album, this is, this is for me the tops. Yeah, really is. So Jerry, you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram the Rushcast, email Jerry. We're going to be reading your emails every episode now, at least one, the Rushcast at gmail.com. And Jer? Yes? I'm ready for your quote. I'm glad, because I have one. Oh, nice! You ready for this? I'm ready. There aren't aren't a lot of songs on this side, so... Okay. It's going to be one you know. You can choose from phantom fears and kindness that can kill. I will choose a path that's clear. I will choose free will. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Take it easy. Bye.